Welcome, friends, to Holland United Church of Christ. It's so great to have you with us this morning. We are a community where, whether you are a believer or a doubter, gay or straight, wondering or wandering or whatever, you are welcome here. As we say on the front of our sheet here, we're a new faith community here in Holland that is loving, supportive, socially conscious, and joyful. So we're going to try to have a little bit of fun. If you don't have a worship sheet, we have some in the back. Feel free to grab one because that will explain what we're doing here. <laughs> well, let us recognize the light of the world around us and within us, and we'll begin that as we light these candles. And as we ring this meditation bell, allow that to just bring you into this time, to allow you to be centered and present and recognizing the sacred that is around us. Integration Guidance by Mark Nepo. We waste so much energy trying to cover up who we are when beneath every attitude is the want to be loved and beneath every anger is a wound to be healed and beneath every sadness is the fear that there will not be enough time. When we hesitate in being direct, we unknowingly slip something on, something, some added layer of protection that keeps us from feeling the world and often that thin covering is the beginning of a loneliness, which if not put down, diminishes our chances for joy. It's like wearing gloves every time we touch something, and then forgetting we chose to put them on, we complain that nothing feels quite right, quite real. In this way, our challenge each day is not to get dressed to face the world, but to unglove ourselves so that the doorknob feels cold and the car handle feels wet and the kiss goodbye feels like the lips of another being, soft and unrepeatable. Uh, reading from scripture from the book of Sirach, 35, 12 through 17. Give to the Most High as he has given to you and as generously as you can afford. For the Lord is the one who repays and he will repay you sevenfold. Do not offer him a bribe for he will not accept it. And do not rely on a dishonest sacrifice, for the Lord is the judge. And with him there is no partiality. He will not show partiality to the poor, but he will listen to the prayer of one who is wronged. He will not ignore the supplication of the orphan or the widow when she pours out her complaint. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to Luke 18, 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. 
and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I just wanted you all to say we are listening. You know, so I remind you later. You know. So there are these two fish uh, swimming along uh, one day, and an older fish comes along the other way. And he says, Morning, boys, how's the water? Well, these young fish keep on swimming by, and after a little while, one turns to the other and says, What the heck is water? <laughs> story from David Foster Wallace. Uh, but the truth is, right, we all are born into things that we're unaware of, that we can't see, that we're, yeah, we're just kind of oblivious to. Whether it's uh, value systems, uh, whether it's ways of thinking, ways of seeing the world, certainly ways of thinking about God and about faith. And I think this might be especially true if you're born into kind of a homogenous setting. People of the same background, kind of the same way of looking at things, and so on and so forth. And I think certainly this was my experience growing up. Uh, I was born in Grand Rapids, parent uh, to parents who had emigrated from the Netherlands and uh, baptized in a Christian Reformed church, went to Christian school, went to youth group, cadets, did all the right things. Right, I could check every box. I was in. I was in. And, you know, people like me were in. And I thought that's what it meant to be in. But I was, of course, unaware of these things. And so people who were not like me were probably out, right? Catholics, we were pretty sure, not in. Baptist, Methodist, uh, you know, maybe if you were RCA, or that is Reformed Church in America, kind of a toss-up. <laughs> Just kidding, but, but you get what I'm saying, right? There was this understanding that people like us are in, and people who aren't like us, well, we're not quite sure, and in fact, they may not be in. Everybody knew this, or so I thought. But it was the water that I was swimming in and I didn't realize, in fact, that in many ways, I was all wet. Well, in our text, Jesus is speaking similarly to people who largely see the world in the same way. He's speaking to a Jewish crowd who understands that God is a certain way, and certain people have access to God by some specific means. Everyone knew that. Everyone knew that. And when one is speaking right, to such a crowd. Sometimes you have to be provocative to break things open. And Jesus was good at that, and he often did so by using parables, such as he does here. And in fact, one uh, writer refers to this parable that we're looking at today as first century minimalist art. 
first century minimalist art. And I like that reference given our setting especially. Uh, but it's an economy of words, right? And yet by doing this, weaving this short little story, he's helping break open their way of seeing the world. He's pointing out the water that they maybe don't realize is there. And so Jesus begins to... Oh, jumped ahead. All right. Practice service. <laughs> what did everyone know in Jesus' audience, right? What is the water that they are swimming in? Well, the God who is overall was in fact not the God of everyone. He had tied himself to a certain group of people, this small tribe of wanderers and nomads who had first come together under Moses and then kind of formalized as a political entity under King David and had settled west of the Jordan. This group who continually found themselves in trouble, right, under the thumb of some foreign power or another. But no matter how bad things got, they knew that God was on their side. And there were certain ways to access this God. There was a priestly system set up to mediate on behalf of the people. These priests alone had true access, and others were kind of given secondary access to God through sacrifices, uh, through offerings, and so forth. And even to avail yourself of those things, certain uh, ritual actions and codes of behavior were required to keep you clean. And so there was layer upon layer upon layer. And as a Jew, you had to keep the Torah, you'd eat kosher, observe Sabbath, other sacrifices, and avoid associating with the wrong people. Well, certain people were experts in this whole process and in teaching about it, and those were the Pharisees. Now, Pharisees were seen as largely good, upstanding teachers who, aside from the priests, were next closest to God, and they understood all the rules and all the rituals. And so as Jesus starts to tell this story, the Pharisee actually would be the hero. It takes us a little work, right, to get in that place. Because we read the story and we just, well, we know, well, it's the Pharisee, okay, we know he's the bad guy before we even hear the story, right? But we've got to try to put ourselves in their setting. We've got to try to be in the water that they are swimming in. And in the same way, for me growing up, um, so as this crowd would aspire to be like the Pharisees, right? And for me growing up, we were encouraged to be like John Calvin, or if not Calvin, like our pastor who was very close with Calvin. But then Jesus introduces another character, a tax collector, or talonis. A truer translation might be toll collector. Well, what's the difference between a toll collector and a tax collector? Well, a tax collector was often a level up from a toll collector. Uh, in fact, we'll read about that next week. An arch talonis, uh, we'll, get, we'll look at Zacchaeus, and that's what he was. Someone who had people working under him to do the dirty work of actually collecting the tolls and the taxes. And so he had to do the face-to-face -face work of actually collecting the money that was owed to Rome. And he had to pass that on to those above him. So even though he's charging people extra, he's not seeing a lot of that. And so we kind of think tax collector, they're wealthy. But actually, this guy likely is not wealthy. 
He's working for the other side, right? He's seen as an enemy. He's working for Rome. And so he's a backstabber. He's poor. And nobody likes him, right? He's the worst of the worst, the kind of guy you don't invite over for a meal, the kind you, you don't even want around in the neighborhood, and you certainly don't want this guy in the temple. And so Jesus tells his tale. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a toll collector. Or as Jesus might have told the story to the community of my youth, two people went to church, one a white, straight seminary grad, I don't know why I'm starting to feel implicated. <laughs> and one, a poor black woman on government assistance who hadn't been a regular to church. You get the idea. And so as Jesus begins to tell the story, it's easy for his audience to know who to cheer for. There to know who the good guy is in the story. So the good guy, the Pharisee, stands up and prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, these sinners. These robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and especially not like this guy over here. And he calls him out. This tax collector, this toll collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And the crowd is like cheering, right? Bravo, right? Yes, we thank God too that you're not like those other things. You are the embodiment of the religious ideal. You're pure, you're upstanding, righteous, clean. Kids, pay attention. This is our guy. This is not... Jesus continues the story. But the toll collector stood at a distance. He's already been publicly shamed by the Pharisee. He's at the edge of the temple, right? He stands at a distance, and he's half expecting to get booted out of there at any second. Well, everything so far has gone according to script. As the scholar William Herzog puts it, he says, the Pharisee has stepped out and condemned this tax collector, speaking for the established systems located in the temple and supported by the Torah. And when have you heard that before? We'd love to welcome you, but the Bible says, we'd love to welcome you, but you're just not quite measuring up. And often it's not done privately, right? It's pointed out sometimes in front of others in a hurtful way. So he's been shamed, put in his place, and now the crowd expects it's time for him to leave. And the audience is waiting for it. But the toll collector doesn't follow the script. Herzog notes, having heard the worst that the Pharisee could throw at him, he cries out, beats his breast, and prays for mercy, the very mercy being made available during the afternoon sacrifice there at the temple. He refuses to consent to the Pharisee's shaming, but he appeals to a higher source. He refuses to accept the labels attached to him, the stigma of a toll collector, but he speaks directly to God. He breaks the deafening silence that followed the Pharisees' effort to reinforce the status quo. I want us to imagine the courage that this took, right? Here he's standing in this awesome structure, right? This temple structure that is just 
beyond our fathoming of how huge this thing is and beautiful. And it just supports all the things that this Pharisee is saying, right? Here's the system. Here's who's in and here's who's not in. And you, sir, are not in. Like I would have just said, okay, I can argue. I'm out of here. Know where I'm at on it. He has courage to stand there in spite of everything against it. It's amazing. Well, the audience, Jesus' listeners, have got to be thinking, "What? how dare this guy? Now he's really going to get it. He doesn't know when to be quiet. He doesn't know when to leave. And so they're gasping, sort of waiting for that thunderclap of rejection. And Jesus adds the finishing touch. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And the air goes out of the room. It's stunning, unthinkable, and it's not hard to begin to understand why Jesus winds up with a few enemies. But what he's doing is that, you know, they know they're under the domination system of Rome. They know they're being oppressed by Rome, but Jesus says there's also an internal oppression happening here among you, the people of God. And he's trying to open their eyes to see that oppression happening right here in your own midst. And notice the language that Jesus uses. He says, this man rather than the other. Well, who is the other? In a remarkable reversal, the most in of the in crowd, Jesus refers to as the other. he's showing us that whenever we treat anyone as the other, we're in danger of becoming that very thing ourselves. For everyone, Jesus says, who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice the wording. Everyone. Everyone. Everyone has access to God. Everyone. Oh, but Jesus, what about, what about this? What about that? He says, everyone. Now, it might be easy in this town to assume that we're surrounded by Pharisees. Thank you, God, that we have the purest theology, that we are the most pro, pro-life, that we hold to the biblical meaning of marriage, that we understand how to truly be saved. It could be very easy to think that, and no doubt some of us have been hurt by such attitudes, or at least heard such attitudes, but I wonder if that might be too simplistic of a narrative. Because when I hear that, I want to respond, thank you God that I am not like those closed-minded Christians, those right-wing zealots, those Puritans. Thank you God that I'm not like that. As soon as I do that, right, the power of this parable turns its penetrating gaze in my direction. Hello? What are you not doing? And so I think this is a, a good text for us as we're starting a new community here, right? And it might be easy to think, well, we are going to be the new crowd who gets it right, right? We're going to be the church that saves Holland and that gets it right. 
We're going to have the most open of open perspectives, and we're going to be the, the best and truest Christians. Well, you know, it's a fine line, right? I think we ought to be enthusiastic about what we're doing. We ought to be excited about think, what's happening here at Holland UCC. But Jesus is inviting us to a gentle humility. A humility that is inviting to others and that has space for people wherever they are. Because God really does welcome all. John Proper, a UCC member in Grand Rapids, tells of the time he needed a Bible. He says, after a couple of failed attempts at local bookstores, I did what many other self-identifying Christians would have done first. I went to a Christian bookstore. He says, I don't frequent these places because there's being a Christian and then there's being a Christian. I think I know what he means there. He says, but anyway, I'm in, I'm in the store for a Bible and I'm feeling the cultural gap big time. There's Duck Dynasty devotionals sitting proudly out front, <laughs> casting crowns or something uh, on the radio, posters pushing the latest devotional from some pastor who probably thinks I'm a little too gay to be a member of his church. He says, now, did I get the Bible I wanted? Yeah, I did, but I also got a big dose of something else. It wasn't just the music or the implied politics that was uncomfortable. He says it was the uniformity, the sameness, the lack of substantial discourse seen when browsing the shelves. And it all seemed to point to one way of inhabiting Christianity, one way that leaves room for so few of us. But then he says this, and I find this interesting. He says, yet, in our differences as people of faith, we must find avenues to friendship with one another. Those differences are essential to our health as a community. The pale, queer metalhead, the person of color who is done playing nice about police violence, and yes, even the person who thinks Christian bookstores are just lovely, thank you. We've got to have space for us all. He says, when our sanctuaries become places for all to find shelter, compassion, friendship, and community, then we'll have realized the dream of the prophet Isaiah, who said, as if speaking for the very voice of God, wrote, my house shall be a house of prayer for who? For all people. For all people. And I think that text is all about what Jesus is saying in this parable. Who is welcome? Who has access to God? Everyone. Period. Amen. Namaste. So I, I wanted to play a song for the offering. I, I wrote this song yesterday, and uh, it's, it's it, it, everyone is welcome, as Brian was saying. And, and just how I remember when I was little, I'd go to friends' houses, and their parents would kind of treat the house like a museum. And you couldn't touch anything. You could just kind of be there. You had to wash your hands if you wanted to touch things or whatever. And I think I was thinking how my view of God for a long time was that I have to wash my hands before I reach out to God or let Him reach out to me. And um, this is not the case. You can, you don't have to wash your hands for for God to reach out to you or to reach out to Him, and um, or God. I mean, <laughs> and uh, and then the other aspect of it was that growing up, I. I I thought that, that verse that said no angel or, or, or demon or anything could separate us from the love of God. And for a long time I thought, well, I, that doesn't include me in there because I can. And that's not true because we can't die there. And so 
It's just that um, God welcomes everyone where you're at, uh, whether your hands are clean or dirty, or wherever, whatever state of they are in. Um, so that's what this song is about. It's called Nothing Fancy. Um, yeah, so. Um. In your tears, and in your blood, you forced the love. A love that's strong and nothing fancy in all of heaven. Heavenly down to kiss our faces, bringing dignity to humanity Keep going. 